Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the MLS DG Podcast. It is fantastic to be back with all of you again after what was a great, great weekend of MLS, but also as we head into the international break, there is so much stuff to break down. We have match recaps for you, not just for inside MLS, but for the U.S. men's national team that watched them fall to Switzerland 2-1, and as they prepare for this week's Nation League game, semifinal against Honduras that will take place on the 3rd of June. But guys, we also have a special treat. We have broken down our top five young players and we kind of ranked them for you. There's a ton of young players. I think that's one of the biggest storylines of the beginning of the season that we have is just how many young players there are and how much young talent there is producing on a week-in and week-out basis. We are getting just this flash of, of talent. It is consistent by these guys, and it's time they deserve some recognition. So we're going to get started. Avery, I got you on here. Uh, how are you doing? I am fantastic. We get MLS back. And then, boom, we're back in an international break. Yeah, we got we got so much stuff, and it's really exciting. And we got a lot of people. One thing that we did this week, Avery, uh, if you remember, we talked a lot about it, was our poll on Twitter. Uh, we got, like, what, like around 80 or so responses, and we definitely saw all you Nashville fans who are listening to this that, that shouted out the best moment of Saturday soccer this week was Nashville coming back and tying Atlanta in Atlanta. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but first, guys, whether you're joining us from Twitter, whether you're joining us from our Facebook page, we are grateful to have you. Be sure to be following both, but especially our Twitter that just launched a few weeks ago. You can go ahead and follow that at, at the MLSDG podcast. That's where you're going to find all of our polls, all of our questions, breaking news, and of course, our match recaps that we give you right here. Our podcasts are going to be launched from that Twitter, from that Facebook page. But Avery, let's get started with some match recaps. Why don't we, right? I I want to throw one fun one at you, okay? The Columbus Crew and Toronto FC. Now, if nobody knows this, I'm very much a, a Armist, uh, I don't want to call it a fan. What's the opposite of fan, right? Like Hater. Hater. Yeah, I was trying to find less of a hate, like a... But, I mean, yeah, let's just go with it. I'm definitely a bit of an Armis hater, and this weekend did not help things for that case. But what do you got to make of this game, Avery? I thought this was a really good game. Uh, I know we've had a lot of criticism of, of Armis, but I think probably the most dynamic that uh, Toronto have looked all season, and it's no mistake that Ayo Canola was up top, and we finally got to see the return of Pozuelo in the second half. Yes. Um, you know, he does a, a terrific job on that uh, first goal to uh, to get that second ball. And Akinola just combines really well with Nick DeLeon, who I love as a winger. Yes. And then Diaz just with the, the perfect, perfect counterattack goal just absolutely skins everybody else for pace. And then Zardes, the king of one-touch finishes. Yeah, it was really good to see Zardes get a goal. If I'm going to be honest, as a, and as an American fan... It was good to see Zardes get back in the scoring column. Albeit, for those of you who've, who've been on the podcast before, you know that Avery and I are in a fantasy draft league against each other. And this week I lost by three points, I think it was. Four points, maybe. And because Jossie Zardes scored that goal, it gave you just <laughs> enough points to beat me. So I'm feeling a little stung by that. But as a fan in general, that's a big thing, and especially for the Columbus crew. It's it's really nice to see them looking like their old selves. It was a weird one. They had Pedro Santos playing at left back, but the guy got two assists on yeah. the day. And, uh, you know, sometimes it works out despite all the pieces not necessarily coming together. Uh, 
you know, from Toronto's perspective, I think we are starting to see a little bit more of what they should be looking like. You know, Akinola is is a pretty dynamic guy up top. Uh, they definitely created a lot of chances in the second half with uh, Pozuelo in there. And, uh, you know, ho- hopefully for them, they'll start to get those chances and those results as the summer goes on. This is kind of the most crucial um, yeah. time of the season as well with all the international breaks. And, you know, there's a lot of points up for grab in the sense that you're going to have other MLS teams that are weakened. Yeah. Uh, you know, international call-ups, uh rotations injuries that kind of thing now is really the time for toronto to you know get back on the horse now here's the here's the thing with toronto though i'm sure everybody who's uh any kind of fan of toronto knows about that situation but josie altador it gets in a fight with chris armis and has been asked by toronto to practice in isolation uh he's not practicing with the first team right now and the t- club has come out and said that they are open to a transfer and we know that the transfer window opens and i believe it's in the next nine ten days here for the summer and i gotta ask you with akinola he obviously got the goal this one you're getting a healthy pozuelo jefferson saltado's come in uh still looks like he needs to get a little bit adjusted but it looks like he could be a real class talent here what is the need for josie altador in toronto or are we seeing the end to what has been I mean, I would say pretty successful overall time in Toronto, but a very quick downfall for Josie Altador. Frankly, if I'm Toronto, I buy him out. Uh, they shouldn't have re-signed him on a DP contract in the first place. Uh, they know that they're only going to cer- get a certain level of production in terms of the games that he's capable of playing per season. I mean, I don't think he's played more than 15 a year at this point, uh, and he just doesn't fit uh, Armas' system. You know, no. if, if I'm Toronto, no. get him off the wage sheet. You have an open D spot, DP spot. Go out and get, you know, a DP defensive midfielder who actually covers ground, unlike Michael Bradley. Or, I don't know, maybe a, a DP striker. But frankly, I think if Akinola's fit, that, you know, that's a perfectly good option yeah. as their, their number one guy. But, you know, get a guy who's going to cover ground in a system that requires a ridiculous amount of pressing, you know, get a, an armless guy. Yeah, no. And I think that's one of the things that if, because uh, if you look back at Chris Armis way back when he won the supporter shield, right? When Jesse Marsh left, he was only able to really finish out that season. Thanks to Tyler Adams. Um, and then Tyler Adams leaves. And then t- Chris Armis is, it's a train wreck and it just doesn't look that great. Um, it's that defensive midfielder position. And I think Bradley's had spurts where he's looked good this season, but it's just something with age that it's going to come with everybody. A great, a great leader, uh, still in my opinion, just from from personality. Even if it can be tough, uh, tough love sometimes. But there's options for Toronto, regardless of whether it's a defensive mid or a striker. I think Josie Altidore, whether he's bought out, whether he's sold, whether he's traded, you got to get rid of the contract some way or another and open up that DP DP slot, especially especially. If you're investing in Chris Armas as your head coach, give him the chance to go sign a guy uh, to work with Saltado to be able to push his vision. Even though I'm not a fan of him, if you're going to invest, if you're going to commit, now's the time to do it. Give the money, free the situation, especially with all the drama and stuff that it's caused. Uh, I mean, with the whole fight and having to train in isolation, that's a big one right there. Uh, so that's, that is definitely 
a situation that everybody should be following in the next two weeks. I definitely expect a development. I'm just not even sure the front office knows what it's going to be. But again, guys, this one finishes 2-1. Columbus Crew, you already mentioned it, and I would just want to highlight it again. Pedro Santos from the left wing back spot getting both assists. I expect to see him back there again. But Columbus Crew also getting back on the right track. Both these teams need a good rest ahead of them. But let's turn our attention to the game I highlighted at the beginning of the show. Atlanta 2, Nashville 2. Nashville come back in the dying minutes of the game and score two goals. At Atlanta, what does that say? about? Was that more about Nashville's resilience, or was it just Atlanta collapsing? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as a collapse, but you see that all these comebacks, they have one thing in common, and it's Nashville being the side that comes back. You know, we saw that, you know, this week's collapse with Atlanta – we saw in, in previous weeks, you know, Cincinnati and, and so on. They just have this resiliency and they have this ability to stay focused throughout a game and just make the most of their chances. You know, they were frankly, you know, the the second best side in that game. And you look at the goals and they're not particularly remarkable. I mean, Mukhtar finds some space in the box on the first one, and then he does well to, you know, be the first to the ball on, on a second ball on that second one. And he can't really fault Atlanta all that much, honestly. Uh, I mean, on the second one, you know, defensively, uh, you want your defenders to, to win that ball in their own box. But, you know, not a bad performance. And frankly, Atlanta dominated 80 minutes of that game. Yeah, I think Atlanta looks really good. I think in particular, um, I'm still wanting to see more from Josef, even though it's really nice to see him on the field and, and whatnot. But Miles Robinson, right? I think if you look at the first goal, it is just – and he's done it twice now. He did it in Seattle last week for the penalty that they won that was able to salvage them a draw. But it's a long ball from the back. He's able to step up to occupy the space – but it's always just this long ball right into the path of a player that's able to create Atlanta chances. That's something that I, I really like in the development of Miles Robinson, not just from an Atlanta standpoint, but I'm saying right now, Miles Robinson, barring the front office of Atlanta, let him go because we've seen them say no time and time again, but will be one of the first names at the Gold Cup this summer. And I think it's because he's been able to mature in his style of play that not only is he locked down at the back, and you said it yourself, you'd like a little bit better, but those were some kind of fluky goals. They were definitely, Atlanta was definitely more in control. And Miles Robinson, I think, is a big, big part of that. It's so interesting for me to see this kind of evolution of Atlanta because you look at it and it's just absolutely root one stuff. I mean, if you saw that in England, people would be bemoaning, you know, the English playing soccer from the 1960s, right? But it, it's a total asset. It's the most direct I've seen Atlanta play since the Tata days. Yeah. And to have a, a player like that who can hit a ball, uh, you see it in some of the best European teams. You, you know, you look at Liverpool and uh, Virgil Van Dijk's capacity to hit a, you know, a crossfield, you know, banger out to the wing to you know Mohamed Salah. Uh, just to have that kind of thing in your locker is phenomenal on the part of Robinson. Uh, obviously you know, showing why he's rated and why he should be part of the U.S. setup. But uh, let's give some credit. Marcelino Mourinho yeah. 
scores that first goal and then he's at the heart of the second one uh you know finds bello in space bello has that terrific cross uh and bello showing offensively why he's so rated by folks in mls uh obviously the defensive side of things has uh has yet to yeah click improve to where we're you know expecting things yeah but this is what we should be expecting from atlanta at least offensively you know this is the style of play that i think everyone anticipated finally yeah one thing i think that you point out there just the the nature and development of uh first of all moreno i think he's gotten so much more comfortable in the league you saw when he came in at the end of last season that it was just a little uncomfortable it took some time but he's finally beginning to find his stride find himself that's huge for atlanta especially when Josef is not quite clicking in all cylinders that you're used to. And then George Bello, Miles Robinson. I'm just going to say this before I ask you a question about Nashville. It's a what could have been for the U.S. Olympic team had they been there, right? Had Atlanta been nice enough to let them go, could you imagine just a Miles Robinson, Justin Glad pairing in the Olympics, allowing either Justin Glad or Miles Robinson to step up into space and hit that through ball on the ground or into space up and over? That's one thing that I think uh, would have been really fun to see in the what could have been. But uh, I'm going to ask you a question about Nashville real quick. They are one of two undefeated teams. But five draws, only two wins, five draws. How impressive really is their undefeated nature um, when you consider the fact that they've had to come back against teams like Atlanta, Cincy, Montreal to be able to get those draws? Well, you definitely have to ask some questions as far as them digging themselves holes early in games. But on the other hand, the fact that they're coming back in this fashion and getting those points, you know, it'd be one thing if you, you look at a championship side and you go, or a near championship side will say, oh, oh, they had too many draws, right? You know, they need to try to, try to turn those draws into wins. But this is the the reverse. It's, you know, they're saving losses from, from the brink, basically. And... You know, we'll see. I think time will tell as far as the, you know, throughout the course of the season, but they're built differently than last season, it seems like. I mean, there's this extra bit of creativity that we're seeing. I mean, Randall Leal is near the top in a lot of the offensive categories in MLS right now. And, um, you know, maybe they need to make some, some tweaks defensively, but from an individual standpoint, the... The numbers are there, from a po- you know, positively. You look at, you know, uh, that, that center back pairing of of, uh, of Romney and Zimmerman, and you know Johnston is is keeping a very experienced Eric yes. Miller out of the lineup at right back. Um, I'm not not sure where they would tweak, to be totally honest. Yeah, no, I think I think all things considered, there's a ton of reasons to keep your head up. But I am just wanting to see the next step of Nashville. I don't know where it comes from. I think they have a great double pivot in the midfield. I think that Randall Leal is having a really good season. And you can't really beat that center back pairing when you look at throughout MLS. It's just a very uh, trusted, respected, veteran back line there. But something's got to click for some of these wins to start happening. Some of these draws, excuse me, start turning into wins because... At the end of the day, they are dropping points, even though they're undefeated, especially with some of those draws coming at home. Again, this one finishes 2-2. Nashville come back, tie Atlanta at Atlanta. They remain undefeated. 
One team that did not remain undefeated going into this weekend, Orlando was undefeated, but they traveled to the New York Red Bulls and are served a 2-1 loss thanks to youngsters Caden Clark and Christian Costras Jr. 2-1 here, Avery. Orlando lose. What do you got to make of this one? It's kind of remarkable. Orlando just kind of failed to create in the game for the most part. I mean, props to Akindela. I think he showed his versatility in this game. Uh, had you know one opportunity in the first half where he ran the channels really well, and then frankly, kind of uncharacteristic on that on that goal where he wins that header and and sets him up. But yeah. you know something you would maybe expect a little bit more from a, a Daryl DK type. But uh, New York just you know maintained possession throughout most of the match they did a great job of of catching orlando on mispasses um really weird decision on the part of uh, oscar Perea to take Pereira off in that second half vanderwater did end up getting uh, the goal but at the same time i mean Pereira is supposed to be your main chance creator i would think unless it's nani and you just you didn't really see runs from the wingers uh, I you know I'm not sure where the creative hub was for them in this game. Yeah, Chris Mueller's uh, looked off this season as a whole compared to what I was hoping for, seeing him in the January camps and whatnot. Um, and somebody that I root for personally, but Orlando just looked flat, especially like you said, coming from those wings. I think some of it does need to be credit to the fact that Nani was serving that additional suspension. Um, was not present in this game, and that's something that I think is going to give this team a turnaround and some more life. But in order to be a championship team, you got to be able to create when your creator is having an off day because it's every part of the team, and that just wasn't happening, and the youngsters got the best of them. I think you look at the situation, uh, and and New York Red Bull, credit to uh, their new striker. I think it's a Patrick Kamala. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. Uh, he has a great ball into the box that went right by Royer and right into the pathway of Caden Clark, who taps at home, who's having a breakout season. Uh, really impressed with him. But then uh, you got to talk about that free kick. Christian Caceres Jr., I mean, there were, I think, unfortunately, in my opinion, it was the second best free kick scored of the week. All credit to Gianluca Busio. Uh, bend it like Busio, right? But uh, this was right there, upper 90 being able to give them that advantage. What do you got to say of the evolution of these young players under Struber? It's one of the things that we talked about weeks ago uh, of a characteristic that you could see New York. This is what we're committing to. We're going younger, um, and it sacrifices some veterans. There's some new players coming in, but they, it pays off today. The, the system is the start. I think we have to start from there. You look at the way that Christian Casares played in previous seasons, versus what is expected of him now in this diamond midfield and i think he's just absolutely thriving you know the acquisition of, of frankie amaya we've seen how good he's looked so far yeah. just in terms of his ability to win the ball back in midfield and latch on to bad passes and that starts so many attacks for the red bulls and was frankly one of their big characteristics at their peak uh when they were playing that 4-2-3-1 where it was you know sasha Kleshton, dax mccarty so on uh you know it wasn't that they had such great chance creators, but they just made something out of nothing. Yeah. Um, and that that academy just keeps on going. You look at John Tolkien, who came into that game. I think he's 17-year-old, left back, uh, surprisingly good on set pieces. You know, yeah. More than a couple of chances. Uh, and it, you know, 
critic to disturber and to the organization uh they got the the pieces that they wanted and it's you know plug and play at this point yeah plug and play i think this is a a great characteristic of a new york red bull team that i want to see succeed uh they're they're going younger it's paying off and i love that you pointed out frankie and maya being able to win those because when you win possession within 30 40 yards of goal it's much better than when New York Red Bulls were winning position inside their own half, but being able to get the acquisition of Frankie Amaya has been able to lift just about every attacking player, if not every player on the field, uh, by just being able to create closer to goal. It's made things more exciting. I still think there's some refinement in areas, but again, this one finishes 2-1. Every reason to hold your head up high, New York, Orlando. Uh, with Nani, I think you're going to see that situation change very quickly. But let's turn to the other New York team. They had to fly all the way across the country, one of the few teams this season to have to do that, where they faced LAFC. Now, here's the thing. I think everybody was going in expecting LAFC to win. I'm sure all the, the MLS analysts were because, trust us, they're a top 10 power-ranked team, right? But uh, not only do LAFC lose, they lose with an, a 10-man NYCFC. What, what do you got to make of this? Is it more on LAFC? Is it more on... Is it more credit to NYCFC? Um, what do you got to say here? I think this one's entirely on LAFC because you look at the the flow of the game. They dominated the chances, especially in the first half. Uh, but there's there's not really any plan B. You know, they either try and pass it into the net, which they did on the first goal. It was gorgeous. Yes. Or they rely on you know Rossi and Vela for some some magic. Um, you know, they get punished for trying to play out of the back. Uh, you know, Tinner home to, to Medina on that uh, on that goal. And frankly, you know, probably NYFC's two most important players. Uh, but they they should have won this game. You look at, uh, they had a chance where uh, Johnson gave away the ball and they didn't put it in the back of the net. I mean, that's totally inexcusable. You know, the red card was, was harsh, kind of stupid. And NYFC, FC, you know, credit to them, they're great on set pieces for that winner. But just LAFC need a plan B. You know, you look at uh, years past and, you know, Christian uh, Ramirez, uh, Adama Diamande, they had, a, you know, an actual number nine who they could play through a little bit more. Yeah. And with the way this team is set up now, don't get me wrong, I think that, the guys that they've brought in, in Musovski and and, and Corey Baird, yeah. have performed admirably, and they fit the way that this team wants to play. But at a certain point, uh, if something's not working, you gotta have options. Yep, and I think that's a big point that you're making there. That's not being talked about. Options, options, options. This LAFC team, when everything is flowing, everything's going according to plan, they are indeed, as the MLS analysts say, unstoppable. Right, but there's there's a one-dimensional aspect to a lot of what they do. Not everything that they do, but when it comes to chances created, you're right. It's either Vela, Rossi Magic, or we're gonna pass it in the net. And all credit to when that happens because it's beautiful. It looks fantastic. It looks like they're Barcelona, like the good old days of Barcelona. But you're not gonna get that every time through Musvaski uh, and uh, Corey Baird. Right, you need to be able to create a little bit better. Mark Anthony K. In my opinion, is is this season as a whole has not looked anything like uh, what we would want. And then uh, you got to ask questions going into this tra- uh, this transfer window. 
for LAFC. Of all teams that are going to move, this is going to be a really interesting team because they're obviously playing below the standards of what they would want and what they so publicly hold themselves to. But what's going to happen? Are we going to be looking at an Edward Atuesta move? Are we going to be looking at a new striker coming in? There's a lot of options here. I mean, I, I don't know how much flexibility they have, to be totally honest, because you look at the business they've done in the last couple of years, uh, they spent a lot on backups. You know, whether it's bringing in Corey Baird, whether it's, you know, Francisco Ginella or Jose Cifuentes or, you know, any of the guys uh, at uh, fullback, uh, they do have Diego, uh, or sorry, uh, Brian Rodriguez coming back from that loan. Almeria didn't take them up on the purchase option. That's true. So that is another guy to bring back in, but their options are just too similar. You know, if you're bringing Quadro Opoku and Raheem Edwards off of the bench, you know, they're they're good squad players in MLS, and Opoku is a promising young guy, but they're just too similar to the guys that they have in the starting lineup. Yeah, too similar. Um, all credit, though, to NYCFC. Um, just before we move on, I mean, it is impressive when 10 men are able to come back on the road, far away from home. All credit to them. Even if this is a big... LAFC question mark here. I think you got to give credit to uh, Jesus Medina, who's having a really breakout season that we haven't seen from him thus far. And then, of course, the set piece is being able to uh, come back on that. Again, this one finishes 2-1 on the road. NYFC grabbed the valuable three points over a Western Conference foe. Let's look at what I, and I have it in our notes here, as DC beat DP City. Uh, because Miami, I don't know how many DPs they've got because it just seems like they're announcing this guy who's being paid under the books every other week now. But uh, DC United claim a very valuable three points in three goals against Inter-Miami. What is going on with, with, frankly, both of these teams? Well, look, from a Miami perspective, I think it's probably one of the worst built rosters in MLS. Because it it's so top-heavy, but if you look in key areas, they're constantly giving them goals away from defensive mistakes. You saw it on that first DC one. Uh, and they completely struggle from a creative standpoint. I mean, Pizarro has not been the player that was you know promised when they brought him in, and he's on a DP contract, one of many, as we mentioned. <laughs> uh, and when you're reliant on... A, you know, Pipo uh, Iguain, who is like, I don't know, 37 years old uh, to be your main chance creator. And yeah, okay, great. He's got good chemistry with his brother, so on. Yeah. But, you know, either they have nothing or they're relying on a bit of magic from the wing from um, uh, Lewis Morgan. Scott. Yeah, Lewis Morgan. And that's just not a way to, to play a game, you know. And I don't think that they're tactically enough advanced. I really don't think much of, of, of Phil Neville as a coach to make those adjustments to make a change. You know, if it means bringing Morgan in centrally and, you know, trying to switch something up, they just, they have to do something to tweak the lineup. Uh, you know, we've been seeing a little bit of uh, Edwin Esconsa off the bench, who is a homegrown, that we were having rave reviews about when we were watching the Olympic qualifying. He looked fantastic for, for uh, the Dominican Republic. So maybe it's, you know, give your young guys a chance. Give somebody who's got some hunger, some creativity, because these old guys, these veterans, 
uh, look totally stiff half the time. Yeah. And it, it, it seems so much to me a case of, you know, these guys are brought in, they're promised a certain something from a financial perspective. But, uh, you know, I don't want to blame it on effort, but they, they don't look up to it. Yeah. No, I think that there's been... You want to see more when you're paying for that that kind of a salary. And it's just not happening. And I think one of the things that you talked about at the beginning of what you said that's so critical is it's so top-heavy. In every MLS team, it's balance. Right? If you're going to put $50 million into your in your front half, which obviously with salary caps, that's not a real thing. But, you know, if you're going to put all your money into the front and then your back is, is questionable you're going to lose games, right? Because yeah, it's going to I mean, be defensive mistakes. You're looking at a situation where you have somebody like Victor Ujoa playing out of position at right back. Yep. Or, frankly, they spent a bunch of money to get Kevin Leardam and Jovan Jones, who have either not played or, you know, maybe are frankly passed it uh, from an age perspective. Maybe there's a reason that the Sounders were so okay Open with moving on from them. Women. And then you go out and you spend to get Ryan Shawcross from Stoke City. Which is not, it was not where I would have put the money. It's, it's, I knew it was going to be a disaster from the bidding because Shawcross hasn't been good for, I don't know, five years. And even when he was good, he was breaking people's legs. But it's a situation where, yeah. uh, you know, go out and, and spend the money to get somebody like a Walker Zimmerman and build your defense around somebody like that. Somebody yeah. domestic where you can spend a little bit less money, but you know is going to, you know, be a leader in your defense and solidify for years things. To come. As opposed to, you know, a 36-year-old guy from Britain who's completely past it. Yep, yep. Now, I, do want, I don't want this to take away from D.C. United, though. D.C. United, getting the, these points and stuff like that, they had, they had Miami's fans booing them. I think that... They were phenomenal. I mean, they, they pressed so incredibly well. You look at you know, Pine's ability to step into midfield from the defense. I think he's a guy who should maybe even be getting a gold cup look at. Yeah. Uh, you know, Paredes looked awesome on the wing. Just his ability to cross the ball so in line with the types of wingers that they have looking at Grussell and Areola. And that third DC goal, if yeah. Ola Kamara can get in positions like that to score a header, he's going to have, you know, 15, 20 goals identical to that this season because they just get in such great positions to cross the ball. I mean, give this team some decent resources on top of the fact that they have some phenomenal academy guys. You look at Paredes, you'll get Moses Nyman, and they're going to be one of the best, if not the best team in this league. Yeah, I, I really think that DC is, they're getting people healthy, and they've really got a good coach. We've talked about it before. Hernan Losada, I think, is a class move by them, but is one that is going to pay dividends, um, especially for a DC that is historically not done as well in recent seasons as as their history suggests. Um, a great win on the road. Great to see not only Ola Kamara but Paul Ariola uh, back and doing really well again. This one finishes three zero. DC beating DP City. Oh yeah. One small, quick little stat. Okay, I saw for your hand. So. Chew on. Looking at that midfield, Moses Nyman and Drew Skundrich are among the top five guys in the league in distance covered. So this is a midfield that grinds. Mm. I think that's that's definitely something that uh, every team needs. If they're not covering ground, they're not going to be able to 
defend or score for that matter. And so if you had a DC team that's already depleted as it is, being able to cover the most ground um, was probably a characteristic of the fact that they were scrambling at times, but also from the fact that that's just the mentality that Lasada is is building into the guys. That's huge, especially for those guys uh, at young ages for them. Again, this one is 3-0, DC beating DP City. We got time for one more game uh, before we cover our U.S. men's national team. Um, Philadelphia Union get an important win at home over a very injured Portland 3-0. All the goals coming from set pieces on this one, and the Union find themselves going into the international break in second in the East. What do you got to say about this one, Avery? They just find new ways to win every week. I I you think know, that this is yeah, I, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Last week they they uh, they you know ground out a result against DC where they were by far really the bad. worst team, uh, and then this week quite frankly generally failed to create chances outside of the set pieces but three set pieces goal set piece goals could have been a fourth was uh, was ruled offside on that one but you know they're getting into a good stride uh they're getting minutes for young guys uh, paxton Harrison made his mls debut to a roaring oh, crowd yes. who were yes. calling for him yeah i just um, want you to imagine you making your debut your brother has already made his history there, gone off to Europe, is a part of the U.S. men's national team right now. And to make your debut to a crowd that is just going Paxton, like we want Paxton, right? And it's just this whole crowd, whole stadium chanting your name. Of course the coach is going to put you in, but that's that's a moment you'll never forget. So all credit to him being able to, to make that debut. Well, and it's interesting too. We haven't quite seen it yet because he just hasn't gotten the minutes, but uh all reports suggest that Paxton actually has a higher ceiling than Brendan does. And that's something Brendan has actually come out and said himself. When when Philadelphia signed him, he's just like, you guys don't understand. You thought I was good. Paxton's going to blow your minds, right? Like, And so that's, that's going to be an exciting one for all Philadelphia fans. But also, if you're just a fan of the league, this is a, a great special moment for him to get that debut. And I think as he grows into the league uh, – there's a very good chance that within a year or two, we won't be uh, having the Aronson brothers around any longer in MLS. Frankly, we can say that about a couple of guys in that union squad. I look at the likes of Quinn Sullivan. I look at the likes of Leon Flock. There's a number of guys oh, who are coming through the academy right now who already have European interest who've barely played a game. Yeah, no, and I think that's one of the, I think that's, Philadelphia is a good example of it. FC Dallas is another, but that's something that just as the league as a whole, European interest is starting really, really early with these guys. So they're only getting, I mean, look at Brian Reynolds who got sold to Roma, played only 17 first team games and made a million dollars, millions of dollars in a move to Italy. And I think that's something that is not getting the recognition because it's becoming the norm. And that is just an exciting thing for the league. But for teams like Philadelphia, who've invested for years in their young academy, it's just paying dividends now and, and other teams are starting to follow. So that's huge. I, I, and I know you're a huge Philadelphia fan and we could talk about them for a long time. But I also want to talk about Portland here. They are going through the biggest injury crisis, yet they grabbed six points from nine available points over three games in the past week. So, I mean, every reason to hold your head up high. One of the things, though, that I love about Merritt Paulson, and I'm, and I'm wondering about this with you, Avery, he came out and, and apologized to all the fans for, for the loss against the Union right, just saying that the injuries 
became too much. But he said in that tweet, he's like, we are coming out of international break healthier. And I'm talking about Sebastian Blanco. And so I'm curious about you. What is a return of Sebastian Blanco going to do to this Portland team who really, they haven't looked terrible, um, going to do at this second part of the season? Well, it's huge, but we should also be cautiously optimistic. You know, we look at this guy. He was, frankly, in MVP form before he got injured. He, there's a reason that Portland won that MLS's back tournament last season, and he's the reason. Yes. Uh, but I'm a little bit concerned about some of the pieces around him, to be totally honest. Hmm. I think we've seen a, a regression from Jeremy Obobese. Uh Felipe Mora has been really, really spotty. I think uh, two weeks ago he got his first goals of the season and we're, you know, seven games into the season. Uh, Diego Chora has had his injury issues. Um, and looking at that back line, they haven't been bad, but uh, it's not what we expected from the likes of uh, Jose Van Rankin and uh, Claudio Bravo. You know, we thought these guys were going to be, you know, bombing forward, creating chances for Portland. Um, and they haven't really looked like doing that. No, exactly. I think that there's a lot of, I don't, I there's a lot of things that Portland are capable of from what we've seen in the past seasons that have just not clicked um, entirely this season. I think a lot of it is age. It's something that we talked about in our preview at the beginning of the seasons that Portland is one of those teams that they are up there in age. When you look at Sebastian Blanco as well, I mean, it's not he's a young guy. Uh, you also got Diego Valeri, who, of course, started in this last game. Uh, Diego Chara with his injury issues. But, I mean, the, the likes of Eric Williamson is huge. But I'm putting money on the fact Aaron Williamson, I'm, I'm saying like 90% sure that he's going to be representing the U.S. at the Gold Cup. And that's going to raise a whole bunch more questions for Portland because... Andy Polo's gone for the season. Nisgoda's gone for the season. I mean, Blanco's coming back, but that timeline's still a little tentative, especially coming back from an ACL injury like that. So a lot of questions for Portland moving forward. I think they need to take uh, full advantage of the summer window. It is a little bit awkward because they did spend uh, in the offseason, albeit to replace a number of different guys, but uh, they just need a little bit of offensive support. And frankly... Uh, Eric Williamson might be gone regardless because there are some reports that Portland uh, rejected, uh, I think, a $1.5 million bid for him, something along those lines, from uh, from Europe. And he's wow. been pretty public about you know his interest there and wanting to go there. I think he played at the Portuguese second division uh, out on loan uh, when he first got to Portland. So... Um, it, it's going to be an interesting season and, and summer for Portland in many ways. Uh, I do have to say, though, huge credit to Giovanni Sabarese. Not only did they manage to get those six points uh, kind of out of nothing in the midst of an injury crisis, but it was revealed during the broadcast uh, that when they got knocked out by Club America, uh, he immediately got on the phone with Jim Curtin and said, uh, I'm going to share all of my scouting reports with you let's meet for lunch and basically was uh, an open book because he went, I want somebody in MLS to beat these guys. <laughs> I think that's, that's so huge that it's like, especially in CCL, we wanted, we've wanted an MLS team to succeed so, so bad. 
And it's cool to being able to see these managers support one another in, in this. And being able to see that between Severus and Curtin is, is huge, huge stuff uh, just for the respect of these teams and for the nature of the league. And it's going to be one of the reasons that MLS will find success in CCL one day. Guarantee it. But, uh, guys, let's let's move forward. Speaking of more international looks to, to our U.S. men's national team. But, again, that one does finish 3-0 for the Union. It was not quite the same for our United States men's national team. Let's just put it like that, right? They were handed a 2-1 loss at Switzerland, albeit. And Switzerland isn't a bad team. I think everybody, just because they're not like a, a France or a Germany or England, Switzerland is still a, a top 15 team in the in the world. And being able to get a 2-1 result can be looked on in a really good way. But I think on the style of play and what we saw in the second half in particular... You had a lot of questions, and and it just lacked a lot of intensity in this one. What do you got to make of it? I think this was a terrific test for the U.S., and it's exactly the kind of opposition we should be playing on a regular basis. But there is something that was mentioned, I think, a little bit in the broadcast, where uh, you mentioned it, there's a lack of intensity, but also the talent is there, but there's a certain maturity a certain aggressiveness, a certain um, just there, there are certain things that this team doesn't do that a more experienced team would do. You did see it a little bit from uh, McKenney in the the second half. You know, he uh, commits a foul to stop a counterattack and gets the yellow. But the, just it, the team looks naive, for lack of a better term. Uh, they showed their youth in this game, I think. You know, there was a lot of chasing the game, mistakes and deflections. Um, yeah, Jackson Ewell was kind of bullied off of the ball in a certain sense, but uh, he's not the only one. I mean, Giovanni Reyna didn't look comfortable on no. the ball. Des didn't look comfortable defensively at left back. I, I thought he was their best player going forward. Uh, but even John Brooks, who is supposed to be the leader in this team, I thought he stepped out of defense way too often uh, and was exposed in part by the runs that Dest was making. I, and, I agree with that. You know, credit to, to Ethan Horvath. Uh, had some great shot stopping yes. in that game, and I think his positioning is excellent. But even him, there's a little bit of lack of maturity or maybe a lack of game time where you're seeing him come off of his line too often and just the, the decision-making to kind of, you know, go forward this whole thing just i don't know if they need more game time together i don't know if this team needs to you know mature and that'll come with age of just being seasoned professionals who know how to you know close out a game and make professional tactical fouls and that kind of thing but uh we just kind of look toothless yeah no i think that there was a lot of a lot to be desired from this u.s team but it's also something that I, I'm going to sound like a total pessimist, but it's something that I kind of expected going into this one. This is a tougher test. Um, these are young guys, but it's also guys who I'm not totally sold on. Um, as, as excited, as great as their future can be, let's look at some of them. Obviously, you talked about Sergio Dest. I really like him, but it definitely got exposed. He looks really comfortable being able to move up, but we've seen it at Barcelona too where... He, he gets caught out of position at the back, and it just exposes that center back. Um, it's not always the best from him, but perhaps maybe in a right back position, but then that raises the question of who's going to play left back because maybe 
he's more comfortable on that side. It's a weighing pros and cons kind of issue. But also when you look more up the field, um, Giovanni Reyna has very rarely looked confident in a U.S. jersey. Um, I get he's got a goal, but he he looks in pain sometimes and just like frustrated, especially when he gets into second halves where things are just not working. Um, and then let's look at like a Josh Sargent who was supposed to be the guy. And the thing is, I've never... Look, there's those people that are like, Josh Sargent is a great striker. He's just been on a bad team. But Josh Sargent is a is an all-right striker. Like, he, the team got relegated, and I get that's part of it due to lack of chances. But in this U.S. team, it's another chance to be able to be yourself. And I just have yet to see Josh Sargent be himself. The biggest issue I've had probably since I've seen him from a young age because we've seen him at the youth level we've seen him at the club level we've seen him in a lot of different situations at this point in time this guy has gotten game time for the national team yeah. uh he does a lot of the little things well uh and he's definitely improved i think some of the physical side of his game uh but the guy can't really finish and he's a striker yeah exactly and it raises some real questions like okay um, let, we're going to leave Daryl DK off of the 23-man roster, but it, the reason was because of form. And Daryl DK had been in much better form, albeit the, the last month of his time at Barnsley got tougher. But you still saw him as well doing the little things that Josh Sargent was doing, but it was said that form was the, the decider there. Josh Sargent got the nod, and Josh Sargent is going to be the one expected to grab goals as we head into Nations League, which Nations League is going to be this upcoming week, okay? We are facing Honduras, semifinals um, of a Nations League where we'll either face Mexico or Costa Rica if we win. But uh, what do you got to expect? We've, we've, uh, we could break down the game more, but I want to focus more on what's ahead for this team, right? Because Honduras, Mexico, Costa Rica are the are the games that we're going to need to win. And of course, Switzerland is the measuring stick of how we're doing internationally, and it's showing that there's room for us to, to grow still. But we need to win the games that we're playing this week. And that's against Honduras, who, albeit, has actually been a very big thorn in the side of the United States for years now. And we can expect the same thing when they play on the third at altitude in Denver. Um, what do you expect the U.S. mentality to be moving into this and moving into this Nations League uh, semifinal, and then what kind of a formation are we going to be expecting? Like, who's going to be in that lineup? We're expecting a 4-3-3, but let's kind of talk about that for a second. Frankly, I think it's a little bit of a trap game. I mean, we saw uh, with the Olympics uh, and that game against Honduras with the U23s that there's really two Hondurases. There's the one that we see in World Cup qualifying where you'll get times where we'll batter them for nothing. You know, we had that that last cycle where I think it's, uh, you know, Dempsey was involved. Uh, Christian Pulisic was involved. You know, this is a team that's, that's beatable. And when we're playing at our best, we're certainly miles above. But there's the capacity from them to be really annoying to play against. They're a physical side. Guys like Elise, Lozano, and Rivas are a nightmare on the counterattack. They're hard to break down. 
you know, you look at uh, Kelvin Ariaga in midfield, who we saw in the Olympic game. Actually, just kidding. He was suspended for that one. <laughs> but in general, in the Olympics, uh, they're just they're not a, an easy side to play against. You know, if we're at our creative best, we should have most of the possession and we should, you know, be able to, to break them down and get a couple goals in. But it could be a situation where, you know, the, the players are getting frustrated. Uh, you know, they're not used to kind of getting beat up in a CONCACAF situation. And, uh, you know, Honduras nicks a couple on the counterattack. Yeah, I think that I want to say that the United States is going to win because, look, guys, I said a minute ago that I'm going to sound like a pessimist, but I really am optimistic about this team. But we need to be realistic that Honduras is still a really tough opponent. And especially, like, we, we say that, oh, we went toe-to-toe with, uh, with Switzerland. And on paper, 2-1, is it can be a pretty close game. But Honduras is a team that just does not quit. These are players that you just mentioned right there that have goals and ambitions because they're underrated. Everybody focuses on the U.S. in these types of games because they've got players all over Europe and stuff like this. And Honduras, for the matter of fact, they just don't have that many playing in the spotlight. But that doesn't mean that these guys don't know how to run because that's one of these things that Honduras does is they will just beat you down because they're just so relentless on pressuring. And if we saw it with Dest getting out of space, just as an example, they're going to badger him. And if he loses the ball, that's leaving John Brooks on an island. That is that Switzerland exposed really well time and time again. And Honduras is capable of doing the same. Um, some things that I think that would help with this, I really think that we're going to see, though, about the, the same back line. I think that's one thing that, in my opinion, is almost nearly expected is is Dest, Brooks. I'm, I'm even going to say McKenzie is back there. Um, and then Cannon. I think that those four... They weren't put in the Switzerland game just to try out. They're put in this game because they were put in that game because they're going to be playing later this week. Now, maybe at altitude, maybe there were some. I'm going to look at Cannon, but really we're going to be playing Dest over there and put Anthony Robbins at left back, and that could happen. But I think that back line is is pretty set in stone. The changes that I really want to see are actually the front. Um, I have some issues with the midfield too, but I, I really like Brendan Aronson. And I've already talked about my issues with Reyna and, and Josh Sargent. But what I would really like to see, Christian Pulisic is joining the squad. Obviously, he's going to get the start. Greg Berhalter all but confirmed that in an interview just this last week, saying try and keep Christian Pulisic out of it, right? He's going to start this game. And coming off a Champions League victory, the guy, dude's going to be pumped, right? He'll start. Sargent's probably going to start. I would prefer to see Siobhachu, and then I would want to see Tim Weah on the right wing. I don't know. What about you for those top three positions? Yeah, so looking at that team, I, I tend to agree with you. I think we're going to see the same back line. There has been a pretty big consistency as far as seeing Cannon at right back and Serginio Dest at left back. I just don't think that Burhalter really trusts Anthony Robinson, and... I don't necessarily disagree, but I think, A, you have to put your best player in his best position. Yeah. Uh, and, B, you're going to get more natural movement when you have 
uh, desk that right back and a natural left back in Anthony Robinson. Uh, now, granted, with the way that they play, it does expose McKenzie and Brooks. But on the plus side, I think McKenzie's in there because, A, he's incredibly athletic and he passes the ball well. So that he will, you know, in situations, provide coverage for Brooks. Uh and I just think that the issue at the moment is the lack of experience with each other. I don't think they've True. built up that chemistry yet because we, we've had so many different center-back pairings and that kind of thing. Um, but frankly, looking at the rest of the squad, McKenzie is one of the only right-footed center-backs among those guys because yeah. the alternative is, you know, maybe you put a Matt Miazga in there, but frankly, he's not at all athletic. Uh, and then Tim Ream with John Brooks, you have two left-footers, which makes that it awkward from a passing perspective. And looking at the midfield, we hope that Tyler Adams is going to be fit for that defensive midfield spot. Yeah, If not, really. it's probably going to be Jackson Ewell. But frankly, I'd prefer if we uh, did, you know, Weston McKinney there and then have Musa and um, and Sebastian Leggett because, frankly, I think Leggett's probably one of the more informed players. Yeah, no, he uh, really and is. And you, you just get so much you know, running from the likes of him. So I tend to agree with you offensively. Sargent just isn't in form at the moment. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Sabaccio, who has had a ton of goals in the Swiss League this season and just is more of a number nine, for lack of a better term. He's strong. He's going to hold up the ball. He does have some athleticism to him. Wouldn't mind seeing Tim Weah there, too. He played there for, for Lille this season. But, you know, maybe putting... Uh, Giovanni Reina in midfield so he can pull the strings a little bit more and play that 10 because I do want that link up between him and Pulisic and I don't think you really get that when they're on the wings you know there is some swapping that kind of thing but frankly in the last game I saw them together Pulisic looked uh, frustrated too and you know he wasn't necessarily fully fit but you, you know you just want a situation where you're at your most creative but you're you know solid in the midfield you're not gonna you know, get beaten up or hit on the counter. And you want guys who are going to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. I think Jordan Ciabaccio needs, he needs the chance to, from the start, get that vote of confidence because, and correct me if I'm wrong, he might have a start under his belt, but his his appearances for the U.S. men's national team have been substitutions for the large part. I think he only has like three or four caps though. Reward him in a game that counts. Because not only is it sending a message to Sibachu saying like, hey, we're trusting you to get the goals. It sends a message to Josh Sargent saying, you're not doing that for us right now. And that's a message that as tough as it is to hear, it needs to be heard. And a lot of the times it can be heard when there are those actions. It's not just a conversation. It's an action saying, this change is happening. This is where we're moving forward at, right? And so... Well, and the... The beautiful thing is it's not like we don't have options. You know, it's not yeah. a situation where you're going, oh, God, well, if, um, you know, Sargent isn't informed, then uh, we have to play Jossie Zardes. <laughs> no, we have genuine, you know, even yeah. Daryl DK aside, Tim Weah just won the French League and was, a, you know, a nice contributor, albeit not necessarily an out-and-out starter for every game. Jordan Sebachu just won the, the Swiss League and, frankly, has shown he has a capacity to score. I'm all for it. I think the guys look good in limited minutes for the national team. Kind of came out of nowhere. In fact, we were chasing him for a while, and he finally decided to say yes. Uh, but if something's not working, make the change. You know, Berhalter doesn't have to be stubborn. He's got yeah. options. 
And the thing is, there's a lot of guys that um, have declared for the U.S. but have not been cap-tied. An appearance in Nations League would cap-tie them. But how much would it would it suggest a vote of confidence for Sebachu saying like, hey, you've trusted us, we're trusting you. Not only are we cap-tying you, but you're getting the start. Or Yunus Musa, like, hey, you are home. This is your place. Here's a start. Go win this game for the United States of America, right? Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, you know, the decision is kind of made on their part anyway because uh, I don't think Musa can play for anybody else now. And same thing with Sabachu. But I think their consistent inclusion since they did declare yeah. is in in its own right uh, a vote of confidence. I mean, I think since Sabachu uh, made the decision, he's been part of every camp that we've had so far. Uh, so I don't think there's necessarily a, a you know a lack of trust there or anything, um, but definitely it's a situation where uh, yeah if these guys are hungry and somebody's not doing the job otherwise, uh, give them a shot. What do you have to lose? Yeah. You know I, I think the performance matters more than anything because frankly this is a meaningless trophy. You know early stages with the with the group stage matters because it's smaller teams who are, you know, getting an alternative way to qualify for the Gold Cup. But, like, this this tournament means absolutely nothing. We get a little bit of money and we get a trophy. But, like, what is Nations League? They literally just invented it, like, a year or two ago. It's our Super League. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's a great time for smaller countries to get more games. Uh, but when it comes to this, this final part, yeah, it's not as important as the World Cup qualifying is going to be. But this is a huge indicator for what we can expect in World Cup qualifying, because this is not going to be the the roster that we see for the Gold Cup this summer. It's just not because these guys need to be able to. Wh- Whoever is going to be at the World Cup squad, there's going to be a mixture of these guys and a mixture of Gold Cup guys, but primarily these guys. It's something that Burhalter came out and said it's a measuring stick, and that's what he's using these competitive games for. Because albeit yeah, meaningless trophy, it's a trophy. Right, it's a chance for these guys, these young guys, to win their first trophy in international play. That's a huge vote of confidence, and going into a World Cup qualifying with that under their belt, as meaningless as it may be on paper, it's a huge boost, boost of confidence there. Um, I want to get your prediction. Okay, we're gonna be playing Honduras on the third. We're not gonna break down a potential matchup because we don't want to jinx anything, right? Let's just say that we're focusing on the semifinal today. What do you think the scoreline is? And if you want to be so bold, what's one thing that's going to happen in the game? Uh, I do think we'll go through. Probably a narrow margin, maybe a 2-1. Might not be a particularly good performance. And frankly, we might lose to Mexico in the final. Uh, but I do think that they have an, enough to, to get it done. I think, I, I agree with you. I think they have enough to get it done. Personally, I... I would love to see a 2-1, maybe a 3-1 with like a last like little counter goal at the end uh, with a United States win. I am going to say it right here that uh, Jordan Siobachu gets on the goal or assist sheet. Um, he's already got two assists, I believe, um, that he subbed on for. I think if I was Burhalter, I'm seriously considering giving him the start. And I think that he's going to pay off and, and grab his first goal, hopefully for the country. Um all of that and more, June 3rd, they're going to be playing Honduras. If they win, they will play the winner of Mexico and Costa Rica on June 6th. And then this will be the same roster that continues to play uh, Costa Rica, no matter what, on June 9th 
in Salt Lake City. But Avery, we got about we got about 10-15 minutes left of our show here, and I want to give our listeners a little bit of a treat, okay? We at the uh at the beginning of our our podcast, right? I'm not even sure if you remember this. I uh, uh we sat down with Blaine Riffle and we made predictions on a whole bunch of things as we headed into the season, but one of them was the young players and who would win the young player award for MLS. Um I, I just listened to that before here to just kind of see how accurate our guesses were. Um, I'm not going to spoil that for you right now, so keep listening. But I'm not going to spoil that for you right now, but let's just keep listening. We're going to break down five guys, okay, who we believe have had particularly the best season. We don't necessarily have well, – I think we pretty much have the same guys. There's one where we kind of disagree, but it's, it's close enough. Let's break these down for you. Avery, number five in our top five young players thus far in MLS, okay? We're not talking just talent. We're talking that these are the guys producing. These are the guys worthy of that young player award. Who do you got at number five? We got our guy Cade Cowell, San Jose Earthquakes. Cade Cowell. This is somebody who I put a lot of money on at the beginning of the season. Somebody that I've talked about in the podcast time and time or two now. But Cade Cowell, who, who do you guys, what do you guys say about him? Look, I think that we have a little bit of a bias when it comes to offensive players. Yeah. Uh, we saw that many, many times before with, you know, MLS Young Player of the Year, uh, Rookie of the Year, whatever you want to call it, whatever it's transformed to at this point. But, uh, you know, the numbers don't lie. Eight games, two goals, three assists. He has a really nice balance of power and pace and shakes off defenders really well for a guy who's only five foot ten. You know, yeah. plays like a guy who's probably six feet or more. I think a lot of people had questions over uh, where the goals were going to come from from the San Jose side at the beginning of the season. You know, Chris Wondolowski's another year older. He's not a starter anymore, and uh, Cowell's just been the answer to that. Yeah, no, I think Kate Cowell's had a fantastic season. It was one of the ones that we plugged as a breakout season in the making in our podcast, and. He delivered. He has delivered. Um, I think that we saw it burst out of the gate through the first three or four weeks. Um, and it started to kind of cool, albeit some of that is just to the system uh, that that a San Jose team plays. And in addition, it also comes from playing three games in the span of eight days against the likes of Portland, Seattle, um, LAFC. And th- those are hard games for a young and the system that Almeida has for San Jose. So it started to die down. I don't think he's done yet. It's not one of those guys who just burst out. He's done for the season. It's somebody who's coming and he's going to replace. And you've seen it in the work ethic. The guy will push you off the ball no matter who you are. He's done really good. That's our number five pick. Avery, number four. What do we got for number four here? I think think this might be the only one that you and I disagree on. Uh, Personally, I have James Sands. I think you look at the, the the numbers on the face of things. He's played seven games, uh, 1.4 tackles per game, two interceptions per game, 2.9 clearances per game, and 89.9% passing. I think he's like uh, top five in the league in number of passes played. Uh, the guy does all the small things as well. He's a really traditional defensive midfielder in terms of the fact that he's really a defense first kind of guy. And uh, frankly, NYFC, FC, uh, they don't miss Alexander Ring because they have James Sands. No, I, I really do like James Sands. If I'm being honest, this he was 
I, I switched between him and, and uh, my guy that I put here, Julian Araujo, um, a few times. Ultimately, I went Julian Araujo kind of for the controversy just so we could have a differing opinion here. But, but also because I think Julian Araujo, from what we saw at the Olympics, was not good. And I was one, I paid a close attention to see how he bounced back from that. And I think the mentality that he's had, but also the, the mentorship from Greg Vanny. Because when you look at the Toronto FC, when they did so well, Vanny used every part of the field. And his, his left and right back guys were up and down all the time. Julian Araujo was built for that. And it's built his confidence being able to be in a system that suits it. And I think that the turnaround and the mental confidence that I was able to see from him after he had a really, really rough beginning of the year um, has been able to turn things around. He's a big reason why LA Galaxy have shocked a lot of people and ended up in the top three. I think they're uh, second right now in the in the West, maybe third in the West. And that's in large part because this LA Galaxy back line has not leaked nearly as many goals as they did uh, last season. The funny thing is, I actually don't think that he necessarily passes the eye test. I think there's still situations where you see him going forward and getting caught out. But if you look at the numbers, um, the passing could be better. He's on 77.8%. He's only got the one assist so far this season. So, you know, offensively, that's kind of what he's known for. That's a little bit surprising there. But uh, three and a half tackles per game, two and a third interceptions, and 3.2 clearances. Uh, those are some very, very solid defensive numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's he's up in the, the top 30 in the league for interceptions. Yeah, it's, it's for such a young guy who's bouncing back. I think that when he first came onto the scene, it was boom. And he even played some time in the midfield at, at like right mid last season. But uh, everybody expected the offensive side. And I think he's done really well defensively. And that's where his issues were in the Olympics. Because he would push up and and create a little bit in the Olympics. But it was the defense that faulted him. It caught him out and it punished him. But he's done really well, albeit not perfect. He's still caught out from time to time. But he has built in confidence. He's built in skill and it's translated. That's why he's my number four. Um, we both agree on our number three here. I'm going to let you introduce him as the Philly fan here. Who we got at number three? We got Leon Flack. I, there's a lot to be said here. He's number three in the league in tackles behind only Kyle Smith of Orlando and Christian Casares Jr. of the New York Red Bulls. Uh, the defensive numbers are, are great. The passing could be better, 75.3%. But he does all of the little things well, and he's a really tidy player. You know, we talked about it in podcasts past. Uh, he covers the ground phenomenally well. Um maybe leaves a little bit to be desired offensively. Uh, but again, when you're playing as the holding midfield, uh, as he has in many of the games this season, not necessarily your responsibility, but this is just a guy that, you know, is going to go 110% for 90 plus minutes and isn't going to make mistakes. And I think to have a reliable guy like that in any team, uh, is something that, uh, you know, a lot of teams would envy, and, uh, you know, even looking at the guys around him in that team, you know, there's been some criticism from me and from others 
for Jose Martinez, yeah. who was previously playing in the defensive midfield role. You know, the guy is a walking yellow card. <laughs> uh, and you see a very different style of play from Flack when he's in that number six role. Uh, the same defensive tenacity, but he's not picking up yellow cards. He's not making silly errors. Uh, you just have a much more calm presence, and you need that when you're a, yeah. you know, a defensive type guy. And and he's a new guy in this squad, and so you, you you typically expect them to take a little bit to be able to get adjusted, to be able to get out of the gates and get going. But he's been able to slide right in, do really well, and is already gaining international interest from from reported things of what we could expect so i mean leon flack has i think taken the the league on by storm and done really really well definitely wasn't a guy that when we broke down our uh who we anticipated to be the top five at this point uh somebody who would be on there because we didn't really know what to make of him but he has done such a good job being able to fill that role of martinez but be able to claim it as his own and that's been exciting to see uh, he's our number three. We got two guys left here. And, and these ones, I think we we may argue on which one's number one and which one's number two. Um, so personally, I, I think number two, Caden Clark. Caden Clark's the number two guy in my book here. New York Red Bulls, obviously we talked a little bit about him earlier. He's having a bit of a breakout season. Already set up for a move to RP Leipzig um, following the conclusion of this season. But I think he's already got like what three or four goals this season and a, and a handful of assists through eight games, seven games. It's yeah, huge, four, huge. Four goals, one assist in seven games. Uh, we've talked about it before. This is a guy who pretty much just scores bangers, and I'm really curious to see what will happen in, with him in the next couple of years. There is some talk that he's already got a deal uh, for when he turns 18 to go to to uh, to Leipzig. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting developmentally to look at him because, you know, I guess his best position is probably out wide, even though they play a diamond, um, you know, similar situation to Brendan Aronson, right? Where the underlying numbers aren't particularly thrilling. Uh, he's only got one key pass per game. You know, if, and if he wasn't in a system like Red Bull, where, the system creates most of the chances. I think it would be a little bit concerning because if he's your number 10, then you have to ask some questions. The passing numbers aren't great, uh, but I don't know if that's the kind of player that he's going to be going forward. If you're just an attacking yeah. winger who scores goals, uh, then fantastic. You know, there's definitely a place in the game for you. Yeah. I think Caden Clark has, in addition to Kate Cowell, we, we listed some young guys who we thought were going to have breakout seasons. I said this from well before the season started that these two were ones to keep your eye on, Cade Cowell and Caden Clark. And man, I I really like what I'm seeing from him. It's just this new burst for a New York Red Bulls team that has needed a lift and needed something to inspire them again from the the nightmares of Chris Armis in the past and whatnot. It's it's been something that I think is going to be a reason why New York Red Bulls not only make the playoffs this year but are going to be able to compete potentially for a home playoff spot because Caden Clark, he grabs the Galazzo, he grabs the goals, but he's grabbing the the moments that win games, right? And that change and dictate what happens. Yeah, he's not going to be able to be top in every category, but that's not the type of player, as you alluded to, that he is. It's somebody, though, that uh, 
is going to have a bright future, a European future as it looks set to be. So let's introduce now our uh, our number one guy here. Our number one guy, uh, I'm going to take a little credit, and this is where I'm going to slide in where our predictions were, okay? Weeks ago, months ago, before the season began, we made predictions, right, on who's going to be the young player. Uh, Blaine, um, shout out to him, said Dane St. Clair, who has since lost his starting spot to Tyler Miller. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, and then I, th I really liked your pick actually. Um, but he hasn't done too hot this season so far. Uh, Brenner, um, as the young player. And, and I mean, that was, that was just a, an outside shot there that would have looked genius had it worked. Right. But, and there's still time for it <laughs> the, too. There's still plenty of seasons. Still left. plenty of time. Right. Um, I mean, we'll see with Cincy holding the wooden spoon still three seasons in a row, but, uh, yeah, there's still time, but I'm going to, I'm going to prop myself up here i threw out the name Gianluca busio uh the new number 10 for sporting kansas city and he has in my opinion had a breakout season so far um Gianluca busio obviously this last season i as we talked about earlier and we didn't break down their game entirely but that comeback against houston uh not only got the free kick goal the bend it like busio uh but he got the game winning assists and he's produced all season long what do you got to make of Gianluca busio here uh, I want to see more, quite frankly, because two goals, one assist from the guy who you handed your number 10 uh, jersey to and who is, I guess, technically the primary chance creator on one of the best teams in the league. Kind of unremarkable, but if you look at some of the underlying numbers, they do speak to his quality. I mean, 87.9% passing. Uh, he is... Uh, top among U21 players in uh, key passes per game at 1.4, albeit he's 29th in the league overall. So some some uh, room to grow there. He leads the team in tackles. He's third in interceptions in the team. Uh, he's shown that he's able to uh, to do it all, really. Yeah, and I think one thing to point out with Busio, if you look at through Sporting 7 games, he's been played out of position for a handful of them. This season alone, he's played at the 10, the 8, the 6, the false 9, and and on the wing. That is versatile if you just, for anybody, right? Five positions, and he's done it well. Yeah, albeit that he's not gotten goals week in, week out, and, and things like that. But from a 6, you're not going to expect that from... From an 8, you're going to expect the dictating the, the flow of the game and the occasional goal, but... Being able to see him in the past week or two alone, not only did he just turn 19, but he just started to be able to play his normal position. And and uh, he's still spending a good amount of time, though, at the six and, and being able to work things out well there. It's just there's so many options for the quality of player that he is that he has to be considered for one of the best young players of the league. And especially because this is somebody that in the in the transfer window is going to have offers made to Kansas City. There are gonna be offers for Gianluca Busio. Absolutely, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, th the numbers will come, but he has to get game time in his natural position. Yep. Uh, I think one of the the biggest downfalls of uh, guys who can play in multiple spots is that they end up getting sacrificed for the team, and then you don't see the best individual performance from them. Yeah. But we've seen that there's a lot of trust and a lot of confidence in him from the coaching staff. 
And if he's given, you know, a, a half a season, a full season where he's playing in the spot that he is best, then he's going to put up great numbers. Uh, whether he'll be in MLS long enough to do that, We'll see. we'll see. We'll see. I think that he has a great future ahead of him. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased here uh, coming from a sporting Kansas City background myself, but it's just the type of, type of quality that he is. Huge, bright future ahead of him. Of course, he got a goal, the free kick goal that if you haven't seen it, go watch it on repeat for a little bit. Just beautifully upper 90 right on the inside of the post. And then, of course, getting the game-winning assist in that one. It's uh, it's great, though, to see how many young players that we have growing and competing on a week-by-week basis because they're putting up fantastic numbers from what we're, we're used to. There's a bunch of guys who could have who had this award. Uh, let us know. Let us know who you would have put here, either on our Facebook page, on our Twitter. Shout out some guys that we missed. Shout out guys, more importantly, to keep our eyes on as we move forward. Who on your team... What young player on your team is going to make a name for himself, going to be able to win games, win points, and ultimately try and help your team win the league, right? I think we alluded to a couple of them uh, at the start of things, but uh, if we want to call it an honorable mention, Josh Atanasio from uh, Seattle Sounders uh, came into a brand new formation, a lot of questions over Seattle with the injuries to some of their key players, and look comfortable on the ball uh was the leader in the first two weeks uh of mls as far as distance covered so this is the guy who can grind and uh we haven't seen a ton of, of seattle homegrowns quite frankly you know i think the same can be said for likes of moses nyman and kevin paredes who we talked about a little bit earlier uh nyman is second overall in the league as far as distance cover goes and these guys just look so creative so good they've been given an opportunity by dc because they don't want to go out and spend so they are going to play their kids which is you know great at the end of the day i don't think either of them will be in the league for very long um and frankly some of the guys that we already knew from before tajan buchanan yes you know, enough said yes I, I think that there's a whole bunch of guys that we have got to keep our eye on. You could also throw out, of course, the bigger names that like an Ezekiel Barco or a Diego Rossi, who are probably still going to win the awards, even though they've kind of had a little bit of, of downer seasons. But guys, the potential in MLS, the potential of these young players is huge. We love being able to watch them week in, week out. Be sure to watch this week international play. Of course, there's no MLS. We just got international games. The U.S. men's national team is going to be able to play this week. And guys, it's just going to be a fun time all around. If you want to join in on the fun, be sure to join not only our Facebook page, but of course, join us on Twitter where we're going to be making sure that you're updated in all the United States action of this very busy week. We got three games before our next podcast episode, three games to enjoy. Um, as always, guys, join us at the MLSDG or on the Major League Soccer Discussion Group Facebook page. We could not do this without you. Send us your thoughts, your comments, and what we got right and wrong. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to us. As always, this is the MLS DG Podcast for the fans, by the fans. We love you.